Amen. Well, I've loved that time of worship, that time together. Not only did I really felt the Lord's presence there, and I think we had a bit of a touch of heaven at the end, what was really encouraging for me is, again, some of the prayers and some of the things that have been shared are actually what I've already got to share. And I think the, the, the verse that, that Helen shared from Philippians chapter 2 is the verse that I'll be finishing with this morning. So you know, if, that, if, you, if you heard that verse, you felt God was speaking to you, I'd encourage you that God is really speaking to you this morning. Amen. And so there'll be a chance at the end for us to respond to that and to come and to resubmit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so, amen. Amen. Now, we're going to start our new teaching series, and we've got 10 sessions. And the name of the series is Lift Him High. And this series came out of a prayer meeting we had a couple of weeks before Christmas. And Steve shared a prophetic word uh, from God. And he talked about how we need, as a church, to be lifting the name of Jesus high. And we felt as a leadership team that was really um, important for us as a church. And so for these next um, couple of months, as we go through this series, we're going to look at the names of Jesus, and we want to be lifting him high through this series. And I have the privilege of starting off and, talking, and taking the first subject, which is Jesus saying he is the Alpha and the, the Omega. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to go and explain what that means, and then basically I'm going to take you on a journey. We're going to start at Genesis chapter 1, and then we're going to finish at Revelation chapter 22. So I hope you're sitting comfortably. We're going to be here a long time as we go through this whole of the Bible. Well, I'm sure you realise that that's not going to be the case. Basically, I'm going to skip basically most of the middle bit out. Well, we are going to start at the end, so start at the beginning and finish at the end. And then we're going to finish with this question of will we submit to Christ and his lordship? Okay, so let's start off. Right, let's see if this works. There we go. Alpha and Omega meaning. Now, I must be before I took on this subject... I, didn't, I kind of knew what this roughly meant, but I didn't kind of know quite what the, the actual translations were. And so I kind of went and did some study to look, at, um, to look at this. And we kind of see these words and we use them quite a lot because as Christians we love deep spiritual words. Words like justification, sanctification, and all these kind of big, big words that we love to use. And we see the words out from Amiga, we think, yes, these got to be, I was thinking these got to be some deep spiritual meanings. Well, Mary, as you'll know, where's Mary? There you are. These words are Greek. They're Greek words, aren't they? Or Greek, yeah. So Mary, could you tell us what the Greek uh, word alpha means? Well, it's just a letter, isn't it? It's A. It's, a, it's, a. it's simply alpha is the letter A. And what is an omega is basically... So alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and omega is the last letter of the alphabet. That's literally all they mean. So if we were to kind of translate this into modern English, it's literally A and Z or Z, or however you like to say the letter Z. So that's it. So when Jesus is saying, I'm the Alpha Omega, what he's saying, I am the A, and I'm the Z. And now, that's quite a kind of simple concept. And to get across, and I thought, I know, I've got, I had a really good idea to try and explain this concept to us. And I thought, I know, well, in this church, we're quite uh, multinational. We've got lots of people from different nations. I know, I'll put all their nationality, their national languages up uh, with the first and last letter. And I thought, this is a fantastic idea. Uh, until I, um, I shared this idea with Peter as we were talking about the Greek words. Uh, and he very gently pointed out that actually a lot of languages use the same alphabet. So it actually wouldn't have the same meaning. If I put it up in, in Italian or French or Spanish, it would still be the first and last letter would still be A and Z. But... I know, uh, Helen, you, you obviously spent a lot of time in Thailand, and obviously they have completely different alphabets. So if we were to use this, and we were in Thailand, we could use the first and last letter of the Thai alphabet, which I have no idea what it is, by the way. <laughs> it is. But sometimes when we use the words Alpha and Omega, and we use it a lot, and sometimes we sing about it a lot, 
it's just kind of, I think we sometimes use them because they sound quite poetic or they sound quite powerful. But when we do, we need to know they just mean the A and the Z. So when Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and Omega, he's just saying, I'm the first and the last. And you see, when we come to the Bible, we realise that the Bible is this great big story of God's plan being worked out. And, and you know, like all great stories, the story has a beginning, has a middle, and it has an end. And so, so this morning, what I want to do, I want to kind of take us through that story. And, and we can kind of see what, what Jesus means when he says he's the, he's the first, he's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. So I want to take you, as I said, right from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. That's a well-known verse. And it says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. God. And also, I want to share another passage on, that was up on the screen as well, which is from John's Gospel. And John says something very similar. He says this. In the beginning, the Word already, already existed. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. And God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. Now, for some of you who, who might be fairly new to Christianity or might not uh, know this passage very well, but the, the, when John... Uh, the writer of this gospel uses the word, the word, he's actually talking about Jesus, because that's another name for Jesus. And so we could read this passage like this. In the beginning, Jesus already existed. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through Jesus, and nothing was created except through Jesus. And so this kind of, these two passages, when you put them together, they kind of uh, help show us and help um, identify that God and Jesus are one. And God and Jesus are the same. They're part of this, this, um, this, this being, is God, who is partly God, uh, sorry, it's God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And it shows us that at the beginning they were working together to create the universe and to create everything in it. And this is the concept I want us to kind of try and get hold of this morning, is that before God and Jesus created, there was nothing. But God and Jesus were existed before there was nothing. Okay, it's kind of, it's, it's, and I was trying to think about this, trying to explain it. It's quite a difficult concept to get because it's something that we don't really um, have in our world. Because if there was people before us, we had parents, and then we possibly had kids, and kind of, and history was before us, and history is now, and history is keep going. But we realised that in the beginning there was God. And in the beginning, there was Jesus. As before everything else, there was God and Jesus. And so when Jesus says, I'm the Alpha, I'm the, I'm the first, is what he's saying, that before everything else, I was there and I existed. And, and as before everything. Now, I was trying to think of an analogy to help try and explain this. And I found it quite difficult. But I want to use the example of George Lucas. Now, who here knows who George Lucas is? Yeah. He is the person who um, made up Star Wars. Anyone here seen Star Wars? Or you might not see it. At least you, I assume most people know what's, what Star Wars is. It's a collection of films. Now, some of us from church, we went to see the, the last film, Episode 9, uh, just after Christmas. And I don't know if you've seen that film, but when you watch it and you have to you go for all the trailers, and then before the film starts, they showed a couple of VTs. And they kind of... And one of the VTs, it was like a collection of, of showing them the kind of the making of Star Wars. It was like two, two minutes long, and it had lots of clips of all the actors talking about it and kind of um, from the whole nine films. 
And they had a clip of George Lucas talking um, quite a few years ago about his idea and his vision for Star Wars. And he was kind of saying, look, this wasn't just one film I made, this was nine films. This is a great big story I want to tell. And the idea was really being trying to set you up to say, look, this, this film is the, the completion of what was started back in, in the 70s. And so using the idea of Star Wars, which we know is, is, is a, a made-up universe, but you could say this about Star Wars. In the beginning, George Lucas created. He created this universe, and he created lots of uh, alien planets and lots of different types of aliens. He created tall, hairy-like aliens, a small green one with big sticky-out ears. And he created this, this energy that lived in everything called the Force, and he enabled uh, some people to have access to that and to do really cool, amazing things. And he had some goodies and some baddies and had lots of fights. Okay, so obviously that's a, a kind of not real thing. But you could say before George Lucas, uh, so before he created it, the Star Wars universe didn't exist. But he was the creator and made it all. So he existed before that came to being. And I appreciate it's not a very good analogy, but it was kind of the best I could come up with. And so when we think about this universe and this world, we've got to realise that before, when there was absolutely nothing, God created it all. And then we realise then that God and Jesus are over it all. They're outside of this universe. They weren't just, they were, they were kind of existed uh, and then they, they were part of this world and then they kind of did some more stuff. They're completely outside of it and they are completely outside of universe, outside of time, outside of creation because they are the creators of it all and they're over it all. And we realise that nothing was created except through Jesus. Jesus was the one that was, that was free and with God was doing it all. And so there's nothing with Jesus. And what's very interesting, when you start looking into um, the, the creation story, you see there's a lot of parallels between what, what is God is going to do at the end as well. And I'm going to kind of talk a little bit about that um, near the end. You realise, and, and, um, and you can read about it in Genesis chapter 1, but you realise that God, and this is the kind of concept I hope I'm getting across, is that before, in the beginning, before everything else, God and Jesus were there. Okay, so now we're going to move on to the middle. Uh, oh, there we go, the middle. Now I kind of, uh, and I think, um, when I was thinking about how to kind of talk about uh, history and, and the kind of God's, God's great plan, I kind of see it a bit like a bit of bell curve. And I see you're going to love this, you're going to know this bell curve. I love a good bell curve. And you can kind of, in my head, I was kind of thinking like this, almost kind of creation starts and kind of goes on, and then it kind of comes back down to the end. And um, you see, and I put the cross at the middle. Um, they did actually draw a little cross, but it's not come out very well on the projector. So you can kind of think about history, how God created everything, and then kind of things were going on and going up, and then we come to the middle of God's plan, the middle of God's story. And that's the point where the cross and all that Jesus did on Calvary, that all happened. And then history is now kind of heading downwards towards the end. Towards the end. And we realise that the, the world and society's view is that it doesn't, the world doesn't exist like this. The world is a continual linear thing. All the scientists tell you that the universe is constantly expanding, everything's getting bigger and bigger, and it's kind of saying, well, history is doing this. It's going to keep doing this forever and ever. But the Bible doesn't say that at all. It teaches us something completely different. It says that God is in control, and God is doing this, and he started, he started it all. It's gone out, and now with Jesus, it's coming back down. And it's going to come to an end at some point. And Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 10, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. And so we're heading towards this point of where everything is going to come before Jesus and everything is going to bow down to him and to give him glory. Now, if you were to ask me this morning, whereabouts are we on this curve down towards the ending? I have no idea. 
And I think the Bible quite clearly tells, teaches us that we are not to worry about that where we are. Whether we're just near the top, whether we're very close to the end, it doesn't matter this morning. I think some of us Christians get very worked up where we are. But the Bible says it doesn't matter. We have to trust that God is in control. And God is going to bring about the end and his timings. Mm-hmm. So, let's start looking at the end. Now, uh, it's not often we get to hear preaching from Revelation. And it's not only I've ever preached from Revelation particularly before. But, um, and I'll tell you I think as Christians, we can sometimes treat uh, Revelation as a bit of a very weird book. And let's be honest, it's probably the weirdest and oddest book in the whole of the Bible. There's lots of weird stuff that goes on it, uh, uh, that gets written about and in there. And a lot of things that we just have no clue of what's going on. I'm sure, and people have tried for years and years to try and work it out. And we still don't really have a clue. But what is important about this book and why it was written is that it's a revelation. It's a type of book that we don't kind of really experience anymore, but um, we kind of don't have these things where uh, John was kind of writing and telling about some things uh, that were going to kind of happen, but not necessarily in kind of the exact, uh, we're kind of using figurative language, if that kind of makes sense. And, and when he was writing this book, and it was written by the Apostle John, the same guy who wrote the, the Gospel of John, and he's an old man, and he got um, exiled to this island, because basically for preaching the Gospel. And when he wrote this book, he wrote the book to the churches. And the church were going through a great time of persecution, where the Emperor Nero was, t- was basically killing Christians in a really horrible way, and it was a really difficult, horrible time to be a Christian, and people were getting martyred left, right, and centre. And he wrote this book as an encouragement to the Christians there to say, don't worry, is remind them that Jesus got it all under control and it's coming to an end. And so this is where we find the statement about Jesus being the Alpha and Omega. And in the book of Revelation, it's the only place in the Bible he says that statement. It's nowhere else. Um, and it's in three places. And the first is in chapter 1. There he goes, and it starts off. And so John is, is writing to the churches, and he's kind of encouraging them. And he, in verse 8, he makes this statement or is, from Jesus. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. And he's encouraging the persecuted church that Jesus... Um, and trying to highlight to them that Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. He is the one who was there at the beginning and he's one who will be there at the end. And as we know from this, and as we know as we live here, history is still going on. And history is still being worked out. But Jesus is saying, don't worry, it's coming to a point where history and everything will come to an end. And I am in charge of that. Now what is interesting next is if you read the rest of the chapter, um, because in the book John has four visions uh, from Jesus and in the, in, uh, the rest of Revelation chapter 1 it's his first vision and what he does he sees Jesus in his complete and utter glory and he sees him shining there and do you know what he does so when he sees him and he kind of describes how he looks like and it's just um, this kind of epic picture and he said he saw him and I fell at his feet as if I were dead but what does Jesus do as John is on the floor carrying before this the glory of Jesus Jesus leans down, touches him, and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. See, Jesus is bringing in his authority at this point. He's saying, and he's saying to John, look, don't be afraid. I am in charge of all things. Like I was there at the beginning, and I'll be there at the end. 
And one thing that the church would have known, I'm not sure if you've noticed this, um, but this brings back to some, some chapters in Isaiah. Because in Isaiah, God says three times, I am the first and I am the last. That's what God says in Isaiah three times in chapter 41, 44, 48. And so as the Christians were reading this, they would know that Isaiah really well. And they would know that, God, that Jesus is telling them, look, I've said this in the past, I've prophesied this is going to happen, and look, here I am, I'm the first and the last. And I've got everything in control. You don't need to be afraid of what is to come. And for them, they, that would have been a real fear, as they didn't know whether they were going to get the knock on the door and get taken away and executed. And Jesus said to them, don't be afraid I've got it all under control. And I think uh, this is so true for us. And I think as, um, as Tim was praying, we don't always know what's going on. But Jesus is in control. We don't have to be afraid this morning. We don't have to be afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow to next. We don't have to be afraid about what's going to happen in the end times. Because we can trust in Jesus. And we can say, we can know that he's got it all in his hand. He's got it all under control. He's the creator there. And he is the one that's in charge of it all. Jesus in control. And we honestly don't know what's going to happen with our society. We can look ahead and we can start to think, oh, is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? Are we going to start to be, um, get re-persecuted church? We're not going to be able to come up and say the things that are in the Bible? We don't know. But we can know this. Like those early Christians, we don't have to be afraid. We can just come and trust in Jesus. And, and there are things in our life as well. There are things that we, we are struggling with or we don't know. We're worried about stuff. We can come to Jesus and not be afraid and be and give it to the Almighty One, the who is in charge of all things. Now, we're going to go to the end of Revelation, jump to chapter 21. But just, I want to encourage you, if you don't really know Revelation very well, or you're a bit scared of it, or you just kind of can't figure it out, I'd encourage you to maybe um, do some reading about it. I think it's a good book to read. As part of my preparation for this, this talk, I listened to some, uh, a, a series from King's Church Catford. They've got some really good teaching pastors there, and they were kind of really helped explain it. And there are like kind of half an hour segments uh, talking about each of the important chapters in that book. And if you want to know more about it, I encourage you to go and listen to it. It really helped me understand some things of what's going on and why that book, um, kind of what's going on in that book. So anyway, we're going to jump to chapter 21. Now this is the end, the end. You see, um, if we were to read chapter 20, we would see in that chapter God and Jesus come in and dealing with all of the evil in the world. Now that, in chapter 20, God comes and brings his judgment to everything. And he comes and he comes and deals with sin, he deals with death, he deals with evil, and he deals with Satan. And he puts them away for eternity. And they are completely and utterly conquered at that point. And Jesus comes and, and does what he started and what he, he claims his victory. And that he won on the cross and at Calvary. He comes and he fulfills it. And he brings an, uh, an end to all those things. And he brings his judgment to all. And chapter 21 starts with this. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven, the old earth had disappeared. God brings an end to his creation. He comes and he, he shuts it. He finishes it. He finishes what he starts. And he's going to come and he's promising that he's going to come and create something new. Something completely different that's not going to be like the old. And, and in, this, in this place it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And, and if you read the rest of, of, the rest of uh, Revelation chapter 1 up to, verse, up to verse 6, it talks about what the new heaven and new earth is going to be like. And it's this going to be an amazing place which says there's going to be no more death, there's going to be no more evil, there's going to be no more tears, there's going to be no more suffering, there's going to be no more worry. Well, we're going to come and spend life, uh, eternity with Jesus. 
And I don't know about you, you this morning, when we were worshipping, I really felt there was a touch of heaven in that time of worship near the end. And, and C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Last Battle, which is the last book in the Narnia series, and in it he kind of, um, Aslan, who is a kind of picture of Jesus, comes and he, and he ends Narnia and he comes and destroys it all. And he, he comes and he brings the, 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 the children and the families and he comes and brings them into his new uh, Narnia. And one of the characters makes this comment and they say something like, that's why we liked the old Narnia so, be- so much, because it gave us a glimpse of what was to come. And sometimes when we're at church and sometimes when we're with God, we get a touch of what God's new heaven and new earth is going to be like. We just get just a touch. I think this morning we had a little touch of it, but it's going to be completely different and, and it's going to be much, um, much, much better than what it is. And we realise that in finishing it, sorry, in, in coming and bringing an end to it, Jesus is bringing, um, sorry, he's ending everything. And he says this in verse 6, and this is where he says the Alpha and Omega again. He says, it is finished. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Where have we heard Jesus say, it is finished before? On the cross. cross. Jesus says, at that point, it is finished. And he comes and he says again, it is finished. I've done everything that I need to do. The old earth is all gone. I've completed what we set out to start. And we realise that at this point, all of God's promises will have been fulfilled. All of the things that God has started will be finished. And God will bring judgment and clarity and uh, everything at the end. And unlike Star Wars, which seems to be keep going on and on, and I don't know if you've seen the last episode of Star Wars, it kind of leaves you a little bit empty at points because not everything is finished in that story. There's lots of plot holes that you don't know what's happening, lots of questions that haven't been answered, and lots of things that leave you a little bit frustrated. But Jesus' story uh, at the end of creation is not going to be like that at all. There'll be no plot holes. Everything will be wrapped up, and God will come, and Jesus will come and finish everything because he is the Alpha and the Omega. What was started, God will finish. Oh. Um, you can't see this very well. Um, what it is, um, I just want to kind of put that picture up. Talking a little bit about between the parallels between what God is creating and what God's going to do at the end. And um, on the picture, you can't really see the lines very well, which helps describe it. But you see, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, a day and a night, and, and puts trees in there. And that's in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. In chapter 3, uh, what happens? We have the fall where Satan, and sin and evil and the death and the curse comes in. Uh, and God's uh, going to deal with that. And then we kind of go through history and we come through to the end. And I'm not sure whoever put the chapters in the Bible were meant to do it like this. But we should have chapters 1 and 2 of the creation, chapter 3 to 4. And then at the end, it's the inverse. The third chapter from the end, chapter 20, God brings his judgment. He deals with sin and death and Satan. And then in chapter 21, chapter 22, he talks about his new creation and what he's going to do next. And you can see, if you look into a bit more detail, you can see there are parallels between what God did at the start and what God is going to do at the end. He's going to bring it to completeness and he's going to, um, in a way that it's kind of, everything is wrapped up. But really the story could be summed up like this. God's story of his great big plan is that the story starts with God in his eternal glory. And the story finishes God in his eternal glory with his people. Amen? And that's when you can see the bigger picture. You can see why God did it all, why he made creation, why he made you and me, is that so that we can be part, as he wants us to become part of his family and part of his people, and so we can come and share eternity with him and share his glory in eternity. Amen? Amen. 
and encourages me because you can see the completeness of what God is doing and we can encourage that God has got it all under control and God knows what he's doing and things are coming to an end. And in chapter 22, it's the last time we see this phrase, the Alpha and Omega. And Jesus encourages the persecuted church. He says, look, I am coming. I'm bringing my reward with me to repay all the people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He says, look, I'm coming. I'm coming. And for those of us, sometimes we think, well, where is Jesus? Where is he doing? Jesus is saying, he's coming. He's there and he's coming. And one day, God is going to, and Jesus are going to bring their judgment. And everything, all the injustice, God is going to come and deal with that. All the sin, God is going to come with that. And God is going to come and bring his uh, perfect judgment to everything. And it's coming soon. Jesus finishes, in the last chapter, finishes with this, this encouragement to the church, encouragement to us, that you don't need to worry, I'm coming. I've not left you, I'm not leaving you. I'm coming back and I'm going to come and deal with everything. Amen. Well, that would have been a great encouragement to those churches uh, to know that Jesus is coming. And we know 2,000 year, years later, Jesus still hasn't come yet. But we can hold on to that promise that Jesus one day will come down and deal with everything. And so I want to look then, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? And now we know from Jesus and he's the Alpha and Omega that he is the Lord of all. He's the Lord of the universe. He's the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of the end. He's the Lord of time. He's the Lord of this world. He's the Lord of life. He's the Lord of death. He is the Lord of earth. So Lord of everything. And I think as was prayed, as was shared, um, from what, and what Helen was saying, I'm going to finish with this, that Jesus is Lord. Amen? Jesus is Lord. And you know, it doesn't matter whether you agree with that, whether you disagree with it, whether you believe it, or you don't believe it. That is the truth. That Jesus Christ is Lord, and he has won that lordship. And you know, what we can do, so what we can't do, sorry, we can't reject his lordship. We can't say, well, Jesus, you are not Lord. We have to, that is what it is. But what we can do, we can reject his lordship over us. And we can reject his lordship over our lives. And you see, back in creation, if we were to look in more detail, what does God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit say when they made man? They said, let us make man in our own image. And so we have lots of the characteristics of God in us. And one of them is that we've been given and we've been imparted with this stamp of lordship. Now, we're not lords like Jesus. We're not lord of everything. But we are. We are lords of our own lives. We're lords of our own worlds. And what we have to do, we have to come and say, well, will we accept Jesus as our lord? Will we come and give up our lordship? Will we come and surrender our lordship to Jesus Christ and let him be Lord of us and Lord over our lives and over what we are and who we are. And that is the question that we have to, that we have to kind of answer and we have to decide what we want to do because it's not enough just to believe in Jesus. It's not enough just to believe in his, his love and how, that he is Lord. We have to come and accept and surrender our Lordship over him. And I want to finish with Philippians chapter 2, what Helen shared this morning. And, and it starts in that, um, in that passage about talking about what Jesus did, how he gave up his position in heaven to come and to be a slave, to be a nobody, and then to go to the cross to die a criminal's death for us. And then Paul writes, Therefore God elevated him to a place of highest honour and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord through the glory of God the Father. You see, 
Every knee will bow to Jesus one day. Every tongue will confess. Everybody will have to come before Jesus. And it doesn't matter whether they love Jesus, whether they hate Jesus, whether they don't believe in him, don't think he exists, or just don't care about him. One day on the day of judgment, everybody will come before him. And everybody would have to bow the knee and confess with their words that Jesus Christ is Lord. And of course, the act of bowing is an act of surrender to that person on that day of judgment. But we have the choice of whether we're going to come and bow the knee, whether we're going to come and confess that he is Lord today. Because the reward for that is if we do it, we get to share in God's eternity. We get to share in his glory if we do it now. We do it before we're on that day of judgment. Because if we leave it on the day of judgment, then it says that we won't partake of God's glory. We'll spend eternity outside of God's glory. And all, um, but if we come and we submit in our lives, it's not enough just to come and submit once and say, Jesus, you're Lord, and that's it for the rest of my life. But it's, um, we've got to be, keep coming daily and weekly to Jesus and say, Lord, you are Lord over my life. You're Lord over my job. You're Lord over my, my husband or my wife. Lord, you're Lord over my family. You're Lord over my house. You're Lord over this church. We need to keep coming and submitting to God and giving up our lordship, this free will that we've been given freely from God and giving it to say, no, Jesus, you're Lord. I'm going to come and give it all to you. And that is what we have to ask ourselves. Will we accept Jesus? Will we let Jesus be Lord of our life? Amen. I'd like us to pray.